This is episode 31 with British professional runner and 11-time All-America track and cross-country athlete, Tina Muir. This episode is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health-conscious people get special life insurance rates. Head on over to healthiq.com slash strengthrunning to see how your running can help you save on insurance. What's up, runners? Thanks for joining me again on the Strength Running Podcast. This is your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and I hope you've been training well, running consistently, and hopefully racing fast. I'm sitting here recording this, and my legs are completely fried. Uh, if you saw my, my Instagram account last weekend, uh, I summited the Manitou Incline in Manitou Springs, Colorado last weekend, and man, it was a brutal ascent. This is a trail that's only nine-tenths of a mile long, but it gains nearly 2,000 feet of elevation. And I think the fastest known time is just under 17 minutes. So I didn't race this incline, but I went at a pretty decent effort, and I got to the top in just under 30 minutes. Then there was this four-mile run back down to the bottom into my car, which only made the soreness worse. So I'm really struggling, but there's nothing wrong with that. It was a blast, and uh, I hope to do it a few more times this summer and get my time down under 25 minutes. I'd be really excited about that. So I hope you're tackling some interesting goals yourself. And let's get ready for today's show. Today, I'm speaking with Tina Muir. She's a pro distance runner originally from Great Britain. She's an Olympic hopeful, having run 2.36 in the marathon and 73 minutes in the half marathon. But we're not here to talk about her training or her other accomplishments. We're here to talk about why she recently quit running at the height of her career. It's an emotional story. Uh, It's a personal story. And I think it's one that will resonate with every runner, no matter your ability or how long you've been running. If there's one thing I've learned from speaking with so many elite athletes, it's that they're just like us. Sometimes they dread a big workout. Sometimes they'd rather stay in bed and sleep instead of go for that long run. And sometimes they just need a long break from training. And that's what we're talking about today. Tina shares some intimate details about her life and decision to stop racing at the pro level that I think we can all relate to and learn from. Please enjoy my conversation with Tina Muir. Hey, Tina, welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. Thank you so much, Jason. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you, and, and we have a lot to cover today. I really want to talk about your career, some of your biggest accomplishments that you're most proud of, and what's going on today with your running, because I think that's quite the story. Um, mm-hmm. But let, let's go back and start at the beginning. Uh, how did you first get into running? Well, actually, um, it's funny. I mean, many people have heard this story, but I, I don't mind telling it over and over because it's so different to what people would expect. I mean, I think people often think that, you know, elite or professional runners, you know, you just, you're like, uh, you know, a three-year-old kid and you're bre- beating the five-year-olds and you're just running around everywhere. And, you know, people kind of have this vision of that. And I really didn't notice any of that. I mean, of course, looking back, my parents are like, oh yeah, she was always racing, but I I think that's just any parent would say that. But then um, I actually really didn't like running. I remember being in what we call primary school in England, but age like 10 to 12 and finishing fifth in my 30 person class, uh, fifth girl, I should say, um, in my 30 person class. And so I wasn't particularly good at sprinting. And 
and then once I got to what we call secondary school um I wasn't even good at cross country then um and I didn't like it either. I actually uh, hid in the bathrooms um, on the day of tryouts for the cross-country team <laughs> I because that. I had no interest in doing it. And uh, I don't even remember how I ended up on the cross-country team. I think it must have just been a case of during PE lessons, I kind of worked my way up. I, I have no real memory of that whatsoever. Um, the first thing I remember is finishing fourth in my local town at a cross-country race and then kind of getting that like eye of the tiger thing of like, I want to win. So that was really the start of it. But that was about age 14, which in England is actually quite late. A lot of um, younger children start like maybe nine, 10. And so I was considered one of the late ones. But now looking back with the kind of people I interact with, I see how actually early that was and why I can't really remember it that well. That's so funny that that's how you started running because mm -hmm. for me, I initially went out for the cross country team because I thought it was like track and then I could high jump. Well, <laughs> needless to say, I got to the, I got to the, you know, first day of practice and I realized that, oh, cross country is different than track. There's no field yeah. events. There's only running and it's all longer distances. So mm -hmm. I was in for a rude awakening, but at the same time, you know, I just had so much fun over those next couple of weeks that I stuck with it. And I'm yeah. glad I'm glad you do, too, because you went through school running. And did you come to the United States after high school? Is that the schedule? Yeah, I mean, my story is a little bit more um, interwoven with America than most people who do what I did. But um, my dad actually worked for Ford and uh, he did like a plant exchange as they were setting up a plant in Indiana. So I actually lived in Bloomington, Indiana for three years when I was a kid. But um, that was age two to five. So obviously, no memories, really. Um, but yeah, at age um, 18, I came over here, I actually spent a year um, in England, it's quite common to take what we call a gap year, where when you finish high school, you kind of explore, people will go to like Thailand or um, backpacking or something I decided to go to California <laughs> um, as that's where I thought I wanted to go to university and um, I actually didn't end up going there but I did then after that year go to a school in Michigan um, for my collegiate career. And what school was that? Uh, Ferris State is the division two school just an hour north of Grand Rapids. Oh okay now were you were you a three-season athlete there cross-country indoor and outdoor track? Yeah, we were. Although I have to say, um, being in, in the northern part of Michigan, um, we did do indoor track, but it wasn't. <laughs> we just kind of used it for our workouts because it was always snowing. The ground was always covered in, you know, a foot of snow. And so it was really difficult to get anything hard in. So we actually pretty much just raced as our <laughs> workouts most of the time. So I'd be doing things like the 800 sometimes the like even the 400 the mile um when actually i was supposed to be a 5k 10k person so yes but i think the the indoor track was kind of more of just a a rust buster season <laughs> man i thought uh, running through a connecticut winter was tough that sounds almost impossible yeah it, it was it was tough we had to be very creative we'd run like amongst semis in the industrial parks and um it was it was definitely toughened me up though that's one thing i am grateful for now, what point in your career do you realize, hey, I might be able to do this professionally? I mean, it's it's interesting because um, over here in the US, it's so, um, you know, it seems to be when people graduate from college, it's either a, you either go pro 
if you're if you're good or you give it up I mean some people might kind of somewhat keep going and you know do some local races but they usually take a really long period off before they do that but in England it really there really isn't that drop-off after college and I think a lot of that is because that drop-off is before people go to college but um so in my mind like in England you you race against everyone so you'll be in a cross-country race and there'll be a 70 year old lady next to you um and there'll be a you know 13 year old girl next to you and everyone just is out there racing together so it never really had I'd never really thought to myself about quitting or stopping because it just once you you start running in England you kind of keep running the rest of your life so um that was kind of weird for me over here that people seem to be like you either went professional and kind of went after it as a professional runner or you kind of stopped um, or you know took it very very lightly whereas I still wanted to train seriously and I don't think there was ever a point where I was like okay I really want to go after this I just knew I had um, representing Great Britain in a world championship as my goal and I was going to get there by basically by hook or by crook and was going to work you know in whatever distance I needed to do to get there and um, so I think that kind of kept in my mind but it was only I guess when Sockney kind of stepped in to um offer me um a spot on the hurricanes team to actually support me that was when it kind of really turned around and I was like okay this is time for me to really give it a go and see what I can do now how long after college was that that was uh straight after I think it was a few months yeah oh that's great yeah it is kind of a a tough position that a lot of runners find themselves in post-collegiately um Mm -hmm. you know I know for me even though I was nowhere near the pro level, I just loved running so much and I loved Mm -hmm. competing and racing that I just wanted to continue doing that. And I wasn't going to settle for not running any PRs anymore. So I kind of had to keep training at the Mm -hmm. level that I was training at in college. Um, Mm -hmm. But you're right. It's so hard because, you know, with a a full-time job and a commute and other responsibilities like that, I was getting up at five in the morning to do a lot of my workouts. And this was in outside of Boston, Massachusetts mm-hmm. over the winter time. So for like mm-hmm. four months, I never saw the sun. I never um, was able to run in the sunlight except over the weekend. And it was so hard. And I wish there was this this other way. So it's it's kind of refreshing to hear that over in England, people run you know, through college and then just keep going. Because most of my friends that were runners in college, the vast majority of them pretty much stopped as soon as they graduated or, you know, they're running, but just recreationally not really competing at the same level anymore. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think a lot of that comes to when you are in college um, or, you know, whether you're on the, the varsity team or whether you're in a club, it's very much a, you are here at this time. If you don't turn up, you won't be allowed a spot. If you don't do this, you won't be. There's all these consequences. And you have this person standing over you saying you have to do this, which is great. Um, It's really motivating. And you realize how much you miss that motivation when it's gone, when you do leave college, which, like you said, you have to kind of do it on your own. But then in England, um, the training is like, okay, um, Tuesdays and Thursdays, it's at 6.30 at your local track. And if you don't show up, no one's even going to say anything to you. Oh, they must be busy. Never mind. Um, The coach won't say anything. The coach is just someone who turns up. It's usually like a 60-year-old man who um, 
does it in his spare time he's a retired man he doesn't it's just a hobby he does and and so it's very it's not so much uh it's very over here it was very intense and then it's like nothing and I think that's why it's so hard for people whereas over there it's kind of more of a you do it because you want to do it which is what gets people in the right mindset I think rather than doing it for rewards yeah I think we need more of that that's for sure (laughs) Now, looking back on your career, um, you know, bring us through some of your biggest accomplishments. You know, give people an idea of what you were able to do when you initially signed that that contract with Saucony uh, to kind of where we are today. Mm-hmm. Well, just before that, um, what I think was able to get me the Saucony sponsorship was I had run sixteen oh eight in the five k, thirty three twenty four in the ten k, and those were you know times that kind of showed a lot of promise. So even though I hadn't run a half marathon or run a marathon, I think they they kind of showed that I had a bright future ahead of me, especially as I always loved my long runs. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I've always been that kind of person that slowly progresses. I've, I've never been someone who, um, you know, takes massive jumps, but, um, and gets stuck. I'm very much a person that just makes small, consistent improvements and, uh, can kind of, um, one of the universities I used to compete against called Grand Valley, their coach used to call me money in the bank because he knew that whenever it was a race I'd I'd perform. So I've always I've had quite a lot of good races over over my career and I've been very proud of that being being consistent and um I was actually able to shave off 4 minutes um from each marathon I did um up until the last one where I only took only took a minute off but um I went from 249 in my first one to 236 by shaving 4 minutes off at a time. Um and um you know, and that was something that I was really proud of that um, I kept thinking that I was going to kind of hit that point where it would be I'd be stuck. But I I just put my head down and just trusted my body, trusted my training and it kind of came together. So I guess um, some of the highlights, um, I actually really struggled with the marathon mentally for the first two. Um, I had really bad experiences. You know, you hear about how amazing the marathon is to finish and how you cross the finish line with a smile, no matter how mu- how well you did or how bad you did. But my first two, I just hated them. I really struggled both times. And so the third one I did in London and I was determined to just enjoy it. So I did. I um, had friends and family all around. And obviously that marathon meant a lot to me being from England. But I just smiled and waved my way around the marathon. So that was a real highlight for me. Um, I ran 2.41, I think. Um, But for me, just being able to enjoy a marathon and kind of um, make the most of a home course was really something special and that's something I try and encourage people to do because people often think you know the highlights are the the best results you have but sometimes they might just be the one where you really got to soak in the experience and you know you got to see your smiling families family and friends on the side of the course or something so that's definitely one of my highlights um and then the biggest one of all was um when I accomplished that number one goal of mine of running for Great Britain um I was called up to run the world half marathon championships for them. Um, I was called in um, last minute and uh, it was a big ordeal beforehand because I didn't think I'd made the team. They called me in last minute and in, ended up fil- finishing third British runner out of five. So I was really proud of that. And that earned me a spot on um, another British team in the European Championships. So I represented them in the European half marathon as well. So Um, It was really in that 2016 year that was my big year um, and I had a lot of things kind of come together. 
Um, but yeah, there's lots of races along the way that have meant a lot to me. Yeah, I totally hear you that it's not often your fastest races that are the ones that you think back on and remember most fondly. Mm -hmm. uh, even for me, you know, I just ran this trail race here in Colorado uh, very recently, and I was not in shape to run this race. I had no business being out there at 9,000 feet altitude running these crazy, you know, mm -hmm. this mountainous technical terrain. I just wasn't ready for it. So I didn't really race it. You know, I ran it kind of hard, but it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't a real race effort for me. But man, I'll tell you, the, the feeling that I have of just being out there and enjoying the race and, and not yeah. putting all that pressure on myself was just so much fun. And mm -hmm. while... You know, I think we can all agree that racing fast is fun. Getting a new personal best is is definitely a lot of fun. There's also something to be said for just soaking in that race atmosphere and the thrill Absolutely. of lining up on that starting line and crossing the finish line without all those uh, pressures and expectations mm -hmm. you have for yourself. Uh, it's a really rewarding experience. Yeah, exactly. And that, and I encourage people to do that all the time. Exactly what you just did. Like, you know, it's okay to go into a race when you aren't feeling you know, in prime shape, but just to kind of have fun with it and see what happens. If you run well, then great. If you don't, then you, you got to actually look around and kind of smell the roses and see things that you don't normally notice because you have that like tunnel vision going. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot to be said for that. <laughs> um, so it sounds like 2016, that was your big year. You, you represented Great Britain and in, in a lot of different big races. Um, and that brings us today to today. It's 2017 and you kind of made some waves a few months <laughs> ago by announcing that you were quitting. Can you, can you tell us about that? Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I, um, so, you know, I, I'd, I'd had this blog for I don't know, three or four years and I felt like quite a lot of people knew who I was and you know I knew I wasn't at the top level of the pros but I thought most people would recognize me and then and then you know but now I realize with this happening that actually no I really wasn't even on anyone's radar but then now <laughs> I, I announced I'm quitting and everyone's like oh I know who you are um just because of that but yeah I think it was such a big deal because um I you know I could have just stepped back I could have um easily faded away and just kind of slowly pulled away from and talking about running and or my own running at least and uh, I could have just um you know backed off my training um the doctors I was talking to all said to me oh you can probably run like a 320 marathon or something you know you can just run easy all the time and and see what happens and I was like oh I just for me like if I I just want to give this a hundred percent. So yeah, long story short, I ended up, um, quitting running. I said, uh, announced to the world that I was just going to stop. Um, I'd reached a point where I felt like I was banging my head against a brick wall, not so much physically. I think physically I was ready for a big break, but mentally and emotionally, I just felt like my heart wasn't in it anymore. And, um, you know, I've se I'd seen so many people over the years who had either, um, who had had that look in their eye, and had tried so hard to just keep forcing it and, you know, keep running that same distance, trying to get a PR and the times get slower and slower each time, or then they end up pushing too hard and end up in this injury cycle for years and years and years and get forced out of the sport. Cause they just eventually reach a point where they're like, I can't, I can't take this anymore. And I didn't want to get to that point. I could feel myself kind of getting to the point where it wasn't, I get to go running. It was, I have to go running 
or when I was in a workout, I would notice rather than saying, I can't do this, which you can always respond to yourself saying, yes, you can, you're doing great. It was, I don't want to do this. And, you know, what do you say to someone who says, I don't want to run? You can't say, well, get out there and do it. Um, <laughs> you just have to say, okay, then don't. So that's kind of, I realized that was happening and I knew I had to do it. And I think the underpinning, underpinning, uh, reason for this was this is what caused the wave was um I hadn't had a period in nine years and so um I think that got a lot of attention because people didn't really a this has never been discussed before people didn't talk about menstrual cycles or what was what was happening with it and that people went through this but I think it really resonated because uh more and more people started to step out and say actually I'm dealing with this too and I started to realize it wasn't just professional runners. It wasn't just competitive or even high mileage or anything. It was, you know, it could be um, if you were moving house and you were stressed or if you um, weren't eating quite enough for your body type. Um, there were so many factors that could cause it. And I think the world, the running world kind of realized how common it actually is. Yeah. So, and not getting your period is if, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, amenorrhea is the technical yes. term for that. On um, mm -hmm. why, why does this occur? Is it, is it just stress? Is it physical? Is it mental? How, how does this really come about? Yeah, there's actually five factors that go into it. And, and the reason I'd never said anything before was because, um, not that there's anything, you know, this is something you can control or choose, but I'd always, there'd always been this association with, if you have amenorrhea, um, you have an eating disorder. And I was, I've always prided myself on eating really well. You know, my friends and family were always say, teasing me on just how much I eat. But um, I was terrified that people would say to me, oh, it's just because she has an eating disorder. And I know that's, again, nothing, you know, it's nothing people can control. It's nothing that I'm saying bad about anyone who is going through that. I know how difficult that is. I have family members who um, go, have been through it and are going through it. But um, there are actually five factors that come into it. And uh, that is your exercise level, um, your stress, your genetics, your weight. Um, so that's weight um, can be weight or weight loss. So even if someone loses like 10 pounds quickly, even if you went from obese to 10 pounds less than obese, that could be enough to trigger it. Um, and finally, just energy balance. So there's five factors that come into it, and it's usually a combination of those. Um, and uh, just the, the training intensity that I was working at was um, a primary factor in mine. But now I also see that even though I wasn't as lean as some runners that I competed against, I was too lean for my body type. And that's the difficult thing is that there's no one answer for everyone. It's really got to be finding your own body type and and it doesn't even just work with women um i'm sure you've kind of researched this a bit jason but that even though the men don't actually have the um the period symptoms of loss of the cycle um the the stress that's put on the body and the long-term damages can be the same for men who also are in that same situation wow so what are some of the symptoms in in men do you know that um well i know that um a lot of it is the is the the bone loss. So, um, that's one of the things that, um, uh, has been shown to be a long-term damage thing is, um, just from the, uh, the hormones being all messed up. And I think it's the same in men. I'm not a hundred percent sure which hormones it would be that are all kind of out of whack, 
But um, from what I have learned, um, there are a lot of long term uh, kind of risks of this. Um, and especially if it's under eating that is the issue, you are obviously at risk of stress fractures and um, other bone issues. And then actually, I'm not sure if this is the same with men, but um, some studies have found, um, I think, cognitive damage um, in women in, at a later age um, for if they have gone a loss of uh, menstrual cycles because of the um, the uh, lack of periods. So I'm not sure if it's um, the se- if that's because of the hormones or because of the energy deficit, but um, it's definitely had some kind of brain degeneration from it as well. So. Wow. So needless to say, it sounds like this is pretty serious and something that Mm -hmm. everyone, no matter if you're a man or a woman, should really think hard about and make sure that their training is in line with, um, you know, their goals and and making sure, too, that it's something that they want to be doing. If you don't want to be running 60 miles a week, 100 miles a week, or even 30 miles a week, then you probably shouldn't be. You know, I no. I always say I'm not in the business of making runners love running. You have to love running by yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can help you get to where you want to be if, if the passion is there in the first place. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm sure when you had to make that decision to stop running, that was, you know, as, as a, you know, this is your livelihood as a pro runner. Um, you know, did that have an impact on, on your kind of identity as a runner? Did you struggle with that? Well, the interesting thing is, once I did it, I actually felt complete peace. Um, but it was it was the time between when I kind of the thought first crossed my mind and when I did it that was real like emotional turmoil for me. And uh, you know, because it was just um, I know it wasn't a a do or die situation, but it kind of felt like okay, if I do this, there's no going back. I mean, of course that always is you can always pick up running at any time but it's difficult not to see it as like okay well that part of me is gone and uh, and yeah there was definitely that fear of like you know especially for me um having a business in the running world having a, a name in the running world I was thinking no one no one's going to want to listen to me anymore why would they why would they care what I have to say if I'm if I'm out of shape not running and you know um I gave it up well why are they going to want to listen to me if I'm if I if I'm a quitter kind of thing and it was tough to kind of get around um mentally in the build-up to that of deciding whether it was the right thing to do and um you know and even just losing that image of being able to say I'm an elite runner I mean um that was always something you know (laughs) that I really enjoyed when I when someone would say oh what do you do and I'd say oh I'm a professional runner and you'd see their eyes light up and I you know, I kind of was like, oh, am I really ready to give that up? And I knew how tough it was going to be with social media, looking at all the other people, seeing that I competed against, seeing how much they sped up and got faster. But once I actually said it out loud to my husband, and I remember it was one of those photographic moments, um, I remember telling him and saying, I think I want to stop. And uh, But once I said it, I just felt complete relief. Like, uh, I think it actually kind of been in my mind for a a little while but I hadn't had the guts to kind of say it so once I did it and there's obviously there's been ups and downs since I've had moments where I've kind of wondered who am I <laughs> but then for the most part it's been definitely I can tell in every way I made the right choice well that's good to hear and and I can definitely relate just as you know I'm getting older and I'm not really competing and training at the same level that I used to and I, I have mm-hmm. this kind of internal battle with 
I, I'm not doing the thing that I spent so long doing in the past. Mm-hmm. And there's almost this void in my life. Uh, even though today I get so much more excited when my runners run personal bests than when mm-hmm. I, you know, have a good race. Uh, so I very much, you know, kind of parlayed my interest in running into this passion for coaching. But at the same time, I'm not running the volume that I used to, the workouts, mm-hmm. the race times. And just like you, I'm like, who am I? I'm not that runner anymore. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and it, you know, it is difficult. And I, I, I think that isn't just at a level you know that can be anyone who identifies themselves as a runner you know even even when when one of us gets injured it doesn't matter what level you are if you if you get injured and suddenly all your running friends around you are going out uh talking about this that and everything else on their run and then you feel left out and so removing yourself from that you feel like you're kind of at a loss and and it it can be hard to remind yourself that you have more to offer than that label of being a runner and that the people even if they are your running friends still going to be your friends regardless of whether you are running or not so I think everyone kind of struggles with it um even though we kind of think that it's I guess it's kind of like played down that um it's not really going to be a big deal yeah I I think I had a similar confusing time in my life when I graduated college because it's and and I'm sure this is true for for a lot of people you've been a student for your entire life and then all of a sudden you have no more schooling at at all only if you want to and you know you 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 don't have that that environment of learning you don't have homework you don't you're not writing papers or taking exams and your whole life is changed in the blink mm-hmm. of an eye and it's a disorienting thing to have happen to you um so I- i'm wondering you know thinking about quitting and you know i think that is definitely tied into failure a little bit as well oh, thinking yeah. really broadly when do you think it's okay to quit something um, you know, like, like running, when is it okay? I mean, we have your, your example is a great example of when, you know, you had some health concerns and, and maybe just as importantly, you simply didn't, you simply weren't in it psychologically as much as you were before. W- when is it okay for runners to, to simply hang up the spikes and call it a career? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you can, I think the good thing about running firstly, just going more specific is you can always pick it back up. So I think it's the word quitting makes it seem like this is it done forever. That's no more. And, but I don't think that is the case. Like even if you are an older runner and you say, okay, I've had enough, you know, not necessarily, um, is that the end, you know, you could maybe, um, start to eat better and just kind of maybe, uh, your son or daughter starts to eat better and, um, say to, Hey, come with me to the gym. And you start to notice you feel better. And then you say, Oh, maybe I'll try. So I think that's an important thing that we, I think it makes it easier for the decision. If you say, you know, this isn't necessarily the end forever. And actually when people, um, uh, used the word retired in articles I was like no I didn't retire (laughs) because I was like that is like inferring that I'm done like completely forever and you know I don't know I don't know I would like to make a comeback someday um, to the elite level but I'm definitely not going to rush that but I think when it comes to quitting it it's whenever you are kind of saying you have to do something that 
it becomes more of like a chore and and of course you know with running with anything some days are going to be more enjoyable than others we're all going to have you know like they say about um too much of a good thing you could be doing something you absolutely love all day every day but you're going to eventually get bored there's going to be there's going to be days where, with anything that you're not going to want to do it but if you start to notice day after day that you are saying oh I have to do this over and over again and you just find that you're not really focusing, you're not really enjoying the process whatsoever. I mean, something I noticed as well was it didn't, it was no longer about the the workouts, enjoying like the satisfaction of completing a workout or completing a run. But instead it was uh, all I was focusing on to keep going was the idea of the finish line. And you can't run, you know, <laughs> I couldn't do four months of training um for a marathon not even enjoy the process enjoy the race but literally just enjoy the finish line if I ran a PR I mean that's you can't live your life that way so I think that becomes the thing if you find after a run or after whatever you're doing that you're not thinking oh I'm glad I did that then maybe that's something to consider because um that's kind of the state I was getting to I was finishing a run and thinking oh god it's only a few more hours and I've got to do it again or Oh, tomorrow is a hard day. So like as soon as I finished, even with the endorphins rushing around my body, I still wasn't enjoying it. So I think that's probably the biggest indicator is afterwards, if you still can't reflect and think that was fun or I enjoyed that at all um, day after day, then maybe it's time to, to think about at least taking a break. You don't have to completely say you're doing it forever and just see how it feels. Right. That kind of a scenario just sets you up to fail. If you're constantly... Mm-hmm dreading every run and the only thing that you're really hoping for is to cross the finish line with a personal best then man as a runner you're you're really setting yourself up to be chronically disappointed over Mm -hmm. and over again now tina what i love about running is that it's scalable and i i think when we talk about quitting you know like you said it doesn't necessarily have to be this black or white all or nothing situation, you can definitely just scale it back. You know, you don't need to run 50 miles a week. You don't need to run 20 miles a week. You can run less than that. You can scale Mm -hmm. back the intensity. You can take out the cross training. There's so many things to do with your training to make it less stressful and also more enjoyable, you know, doing Mm -hmm. something different, whether that's running more trails or training for a type of race that you've never run before, just for the sheer novelty of it, even if it's something, you know, that a lot of purist runners might, might kind of laugh at (laughs) like a warrior dash or something silly like that. Um, I've done one of those and I did it just for fun and (laughs) it was, it was a blast. And I think it, it provides a really nice break from traditional training. Uh, so I think if any runner Definitely. is kind of dealing with these kinds of of issues, doing something different, adding more variety into your running is such a great way just to freshen things up and to keep a new perspective on the sport. Absolutely. Yeah, I can I couldn't agree more. And I think that's that's a really important way of putting it across because you don't have to or even if it's not running, even if you say, Oh, I'm gonna do a bit of swimming and a bit of biking, well you're still gonna be building your cardiovascular system. So that's still gonna help you with your running and, and a lot of people actually find they run better when they do remove a lot of those um stresses of like it has to be running. Yeah, I did the same thing for a couple months with triathlon. Um I was a terrible swimmer. I mean, man, I just sunk straight to the bottom of the of the <laughs> lake every time. But I loved the bike and even though my mileage was cut down by probably about 60%, 
I was running very at the same times in you know the 5k leg of the sprint triathlons that I was doing and then after a couple months I was like yeah okay this was fun but you know I'm I'm a runner I'm not a triathlete mm-hmm. so I got back into normal running and I didn't lose any fitness. In fact, I set a PR in the 10K and I went on to have really strong half marathon and 10 mile races uh, a couple months later. And so, you know, I think if, if anyone's concerned that taking a, a bit of a break from running and doing some other sports, uh, whether that's, you know, cycling, triathlon disciplines, or um, a lot of hiking or something like that, you know, those, those types of sports transfer very well to running specific fitness. So Mm -hmm. as long as you're not taking like a decade off of running, then, you know, (laughs) you can probably expect to come back just as strong or almost as strong and, and still have such a great racing uh, career ahead of you. Definitely. Now, so we, Tina, when you stopped running, how many, how many, how much time off did you take total from, you know, running completely? Uh, 12 weeks. 12 whole weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I'm assuming you started running a little bit after that? Yeah. So during that time, I wanted to give my body a complete reset. Um, I am a very, um, I don't want to say high strung, but just very like go, go, go. Like I wake up at five in the morning and I'm pretty much moving and doing things all day long. Um, hold myself to very high standards. So I wanted to do every aspect of it. So I removed a lot of stress, like just made myself relax sometimes and I took out all the running and I took out everything else the cross training and everything the only thing I kept in there was strength training twice a week so for three months I literally did um two strength workouts a week and that was it so yes that was what I decided to take off that was what I felt my body needed to to reset and get it healthy again but yeah um I decided um as a little celebration for my cycles being back, um, that I wanted to start running, but not, um, really taking it seriously. I wanted to do it, keeping my heart rate very low, um, just a few miles and doing basically what the, you know, recommended exercises. So three to four times a week, 30 to 45 minutes. And so far I haven't even got up to four times. It's been three times a week of like three miles. So, um, very, very slow return. What was it like coming back from a break that was so long? I'm sure you haven't taken a break that long since you were 14. Yeah, no, it, and that that was kind of the crazy thing with this is that you know I was very fortunate never to have a big injury, but when it came to this, it was um, such a shock to the system because uh, I'd never taken more than two weeks off training uh, since I was 14. So, um, yeah, this was, this was very, very different and it was difficult at the beginning not to feel really lazy and just kind of, um, just be like, Oh, what am I, what am I letting myself go like this for? But once I started again, you know, it's interesting, Jason, I would have thought, you know, it's kind of like when you are injured and you start running again and you have this vision in your head of what this first run is going to be like. And you know it's short, but you, it's going to be magical and you're just going to enjoy every second because you're just going to be out there running. And 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 I thought it was going to be like that again, but it wasn't. I felt so uncomfortable. My hips were just felt like they I felt like the tin man, like I needed like oiling in my joints um <laughs> my calves were killing me um but everything felt uncomfortable and stiff and um it just it wasn't even just that like deer on ice feeling it just didn't feel good in any way 
And, you know, um, and my husband was running with me, bless his heart. But I was like, I'm going to keep my heart rate down. I'm not I'm not letting my heart rate get above 160, um, which I was using like the math method for that. And uh, and so we were running, you know, 10 minute, 1030 pace. I didn't know this at the time. I, I didn't want to look. I just I just ran. But, you know, and I could feel him slowing down for me. And uh, I could see how awkward he looked trying to run like next to me. And uh, so I just ended up like kind of not enjoying it at all. Um, and it was only, I think, I think I've done four runs so far. And it was only like three in that I realized that um, I need to let go of these expectations of what this run again should be like. And just instead enjoy just the fact of being out there. It doesn't matter how fast, it doesn't matter how far, but just the fact that I can be out in nature kind of getting some exercise. Yeah. And man, it's such a, such a, uh, how should I phrase this? It, it, the fact that you felt so bad after three months off, and I can certainly relate to that. You know, when I, I had to take about six months off from running with a really bad it band injury, this was back in 2008, 2009. And when I started running again, I was close to three minutes slower at my normal easy pace than I used to be before the injury. And every run was such a struggle. I felt like mm-hmm. um, I was clumsy. I didn't have any coordination. My form was all off. And it, it, it's speaking of consistency and why consistency is important. You know, these mm. I, I talk to runners all the time who who take you know a month or two off fairly regularly from their training, you know, maybe once a year or twice a year, and then they always have trouble getting back into it. Well, of course they do. You know, Mm -hmm. being, being away from the sport for such a long period of time, you know, that's going to make it really hard to get back into things. Um, so you've run four times now. Are you, are you deliberately just keeping things super easy, super short, very low intensity at this point? Yeah, because I just, um, I don't want to like scare my body again, I guess, because I feel like I've just earned its trust again. And so I don't want to overdo it. And I know myself that, you know, if I kind of said to myself, um, okay, you can pick it up a little bit, you know, I, I'm sure many of us, uh, many people listening and you and I included, you say to yourself, I'll just pick it up a little bit. And before you know it, you're running hard. So um, I'd rather just completely draw the line of, very easy and what I've been doing is just making myself breathe through my nose the entire time because then I know that um I'm going to keep myself easy um and uh and yeah I mean I I don't know as I move forward I might add in a few you know pick pick up the pace a little bit but for the time being I just want to I want to be able to enjoy the run and I think because like you said it you end up running a few minutes slower than you did before you just would be constantly comparing if you try and run faster you know you're you're just getting back into running now you're running i assume a couple times a week just really short really easy are are you in a better place now with with your running are you dreading these short runs or are you really just enjoying them no i I, i'm definitely enjoying them i'm back to the point where um it is nice to get out there i look forward to going out there and doing it and and i'm not gonna lie like it's hard not to kind of get to the point of like thinking well i'm only running three or four miles or i'm only running a few times a week and kind of feel like it's not enough and you know i could see myself being and i kind of already started doing it you know the first day around three the next day around three and a half the next day around four 
And then I said to my husband, I think I'm going to run four and a half today. And he was like, no, you don't have to, you know, suddenly keep jumping up until you get back to your nine miles a day. So that's been kind of difficult, but um, not to like let myself kind of get back into that training mindset. But for the most part, yes, I'm definitely enjoying it. And it's quite enjoyable, actually, to just think I'm only going to be out there for 30 to 45 minutes rather than thinking, oh, I've got an hour and 20 minimum or, um, you know, having having that longer workout as long as as much as it does give satisfaction at the end. It's nice knowing that I can kind of do it quickly and then get on with my day. So. Yeah, I'm sure. The, the, uh, a lot of things different with an 80-minute run and a 30-minute run, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, what's what's in store for you down the road? I mean, do you think you're going to start running more relatively soon? Or are you going to give yourself a long, long period of time off before you start, um, you know, maybe competing again? What's What are you thinking? Um, well, after all this time of putting my performance ahead of my health, essentially, um, I definitely want to put my health first. Um, my husband and I are trying to start a family and so that's definitely our priority. So I'm not going to do anything that is going to sabotage that, um, until we've had a few children. And, uh, so for that time being, I don't see myself really doing anything competitive because I really just want my body to be in a healthy place. And as much as running is good for us, I think the level we push ourselves to, and certainly the level I was training at isn't particularly healthy for us. It's an extreme and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not bad for you, but it's not, um, what you would consider exercise for health. So I just want to exercise for health. Um, while my body is kind of hopefully preparing for um, children. And then um, I will take my time with the return. But yes, down the road, I would like to come back. I've always thought I wanted to be one of those mother runners who's, you know, 37, 38 years old, crushing PRs. So I don't know what's going to happen, but that would be the, the next big goal. Well, good luck with good luck with you know everything that you have planned. Getting back into running, starting a family, crushing PRs. You know, maybe with a jogging stroller in one hand, yeah. that would that would be incredible. Um, <laughs> you know, Tina, this was a really personal conversation, and you know, one that I personally find very inspiring. You know, I think we often glamorize running from the Instagram photos we put up to the the workouts that we put on Strava, but it's not always personal bests and, you know, running Mm -hmm. rave run trail runs in the mountains. So thank you so much for opening up and sharing your story. It's not easy to be vulnerable like this. And, and I think that takes a lot of bravery. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And that's something that I've always prided myself on is being able to say those, um, things that are, you know, uncomfortable to say, or like maybe we're thinking, but not quite saying. And, that's actually why I decided to go down the the route I am with like career is um, I figured that was my biggest strength was being vulnerable. And so um, that's why I'm kind of chasing it. Well, good. I mean, that's why you call your podcast running for real. Yep, exactly. I love it. So thank you. Thanks again, Tina, for, for being here and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. And that's my conversation with Tina. Thank you for listening. This episode was a little different than most of our other episodes. It was more raw, a little bit more real and honest. And uh, I really appreciated Tina coming on to share all of that with us. You know, I've long believed that runners are stronger when we're together, standing strong and supporting each other. And the beautiful aspect of running that really makes me fall in love with the sport over and over is that 
we're all far more similar than we are different. What you might be going through right now is probably shared by thousands of other runners. And I've used strength running to hopefully try to bring runners closer together to celebrate our collective achievements and our failures, and most importantly, to use running to improve our lives. And if you want to get more involved with the running community, I'll soon have an opportunity that you might be interested in. Head on over to strengthrunning.com slash TSR, and soon I'll let you know more details about our team, our community, and how you can participate. Thanks again for being here. We'll talk soon. A big thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Health IQ, a special type of insurance company that helps health-conscious people, like us runners, get lower life insurance rates. Now, historically, runners have been penalized for things like family history and other attributes, but not rewarded for their healthy lifestyles. Health IQ changes that. They've gathered science and data to convince insurance companies that health-conscious folks, like us runners, deserve better rates. And since research has shown avid runners have a 41% lower risk of heart disease and up to a 35% lower risk of early death, they've been successful. Over the last three years, they've helped tens of thousands of athletes secure billions of dollars of coverage. Want to see if you qualify? Go to healthiq.com strengthrunning to see how much money running can save you on life insurance.